Come on, praise God. You excited to be in the house of the Lord this morning? There's something about when God, when God makes you brave and you can face anything he throws at you, amen? But the good thing about it is when God makes you brave, you can, you can take anything the devil throws at you. And when I, when I hear that song, I always think of that scripture with Peter walking on water and Peter dealing with Jesus and how Jesus, Peter said to him, he said, Jesus, if that's you, tell me to come. And, and he says, come. And then Peter, he, he gets this bravery when Jesus tells him to come. Amen. You ever had a good idea, but you didn't know if it was a God idea? Maybe it's just me. And then God told you to go do it. And then you got brave because you knew it wasn't just you. You got confirmation and God was in it. Like when I married my wife, I'm like, is this a good idea? Is this just me? And then God said, go do it. And I was like, yes, he made me brave to say I do. And, and every time I hear God tell me something, I challenge you. I get really brave in God because I know something. I know if God told me to go do something. He already knows the outcome. And if God knows the outcome, it's like having a cheat code to a game. You know you're going to win. Amen. And I thank God for that in Jesus' name. Come on, I want to thank God for every single one of our volunteers, our setup team. And uh, amen, come on, give them a round of applause, amen. They work so hard and they do so much. And we thank God for all of them, our ushers, our sound team, our Sunday school teachers, and all the workers in the ministry. Uh, we thank God for them. Come on, let's bow our heads and go before the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, you see every heart, you know every situation, every burden. I pray right now, God, that you would supernaturally open every heart. Lord, I pray in this morning that you would touch people's lives. I pray, Lord, that you would release burdens. I pray, Lord, that you would break bondages and bring down strongholds. I pray in the name of Jesus that in today's service, God, through the word that you've given, God, that we shall see people set free. In Jesus' name, we pray. Come on, somebody shout at the top of your lungs. Amen. Amen. If you see me um, a little stiffer today, it's because I went paintballing yesterday and they shot me up. They said something about me preaching about sin. They were upset about that, so they shot me up and um, we had a really good time. Ernie's getting married next week and we were just, his last free weekend as a man, we said, Ernie, we're going to take you out, brother man. His last free weekend before Nadine puts him on lockdown. Amen. And so I'm um, we had a good time and I got shot in my side. I got bruises on my arms and um, the whole band was really stiff today playing just like, but we had a great time. I won most of the games with my team, amen, with the blessing of God. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles uh, to a scripture you've probably heard a thousand times, a story you maybe heard before, maybe not. John chapter five. I've been in prayer all week long and I really dealt with, with what to preach about this week. Usually I have all my sermons laid out weeks in advance. But this week I spent so much time in prayer, like really wrestling with God. And, and this is where God landed me at. And um, I believe that somebody's going to get something great out of this. Amen. And that somebody's going to receive some deliverance today. I believe that with all my heart. John chapter 5, I'm starting from verse 1. And it says, They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. And he lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles into pieces. And no one, somebody say no one, had the strength to subdue him. 
night and day among the tombs and on the mountains. He was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged earnestly not to send them out of the country. And now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. And so he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned. And the herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened, and they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man. The one who had the legion sitting there, clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had been, who was getting in the boat, excuse me, and I lost my place there. And those who had seen it described them to to them what happened to the demon-possessed man. And they begged him, Jesus, to leave. They begged Jesus, somebody say, begged Jesus to leave. But as he was getting in the boat, the man who had been possessed with a demon begged him that he might stay with Jesus. And he did not permit him, but said, go to your home and to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. Everyone, the Bible says, was, somebody say, amazed. I know that's a little bit more scripture than I usually read at a time, but I wanted to set this up for you. I want to tell you what happened previously before this, and, and it's so important that you know what happens before they reach this demon-possessed man. Without the backdrop, it might not mean as much to you. John chapter 4, and starting in verse 35, it tells a story of Jesus, and he has been preaching, and Jesus has been teaching, and he's been delivering the word, doing miracles. He's just done a ton of miracles and given a lot of teachings, and the Bible says that Jesus told his disciples, let us go to the other side. He said, let us go to the other side, and the Bible says that they began to get in the boat. And the Bible says that Jesus, while he was in the boat, he fell asleep on a cushion. Jesus was in the back of the boat sleeping on a cushion. And as many times happened in this sea of Galilee, the Bible declares to us that a storm broke out. An unexpected, furious storm broke out, and the disciples were afraid. The disciples were scared. The disciples thought that they were about to die. The Bible says that the waves began to swamp the boat. As I preached before, the storm that was on the outside began to get into the inside. And everything that was affecting the boat on the outside began to affect the disciples on the inside. And Mark Mark writes that Jesus was sleeping on this cushion and he was tired. And Jesus was sleeping in the middle of this giant storm, and the disciples, all 12 of them, they're like, 
dude, this is crazy. Somebody has to wake Jesus up. He's asleep. He doesn't care about what we're going through. And they woke Jesus up with this accusation, and they said to him, they said, Jesus, don't you care that we're about to die? Have you ever felt in your life that God did not care about your situation? Have you ever felt like God was asleep during your time of great need? Have you ever felt like when you needed him the most was when you could not hear his voice? Have you ever been to that place where you knew beyond the shadow of a doubt you had a need for a word from God, but there was nothing? And the disciples were in this place where they needed Jesus to solve this problem. And because he did not do it when they wanted, they became with this accusation that Jesus did not care about them. And, and, and they wake him up and say, Jesus, don't you care that we're going to die? Don't you care about our well-being? Don't you care? And the Bible says that Jesus, he stood up and his voice echoed over the sea as he said, peace, be still. And I love it because the Bible says that suddenly the storm came up and then suddenly it died. At the command of Jesus, immediately the winds and the waves ceased. The winds and the waves ceased. And the disciples were terrified. They were amazed. They were amazed that Jesus could be able to calm a storm with just his voice, calm a storm with just his word. And they were so afraid that they were going to die. They did not understand the word of God. They did not understand Jesus yet, I believe, because he had said something key. He said, we're going to go to the other side. And sometimes when you're in the midst of a storm, you forget that he already told you, you're going to get through this, just trust me. Sometimes we get to that point where we forget and we're just like, God, you know, this is too much. I can't get, my wife is driving me nuts. I don't know what I'm going to do. And and my husband driving me crazy. I don't know, my kids, my job, I don't know what. But Jesus said, we're going to go to the other side. This too shall pass. You're going to get through this. There's nothing too great, nothing too hard for the Lord. Every time a storm came up, they forgot about The word of Jesus. And Jesus stood to them and said, you of little faith, meaning you don't believe the stuff that I told you. You don't believe in me yet. You don't trust me yet. And and the Bible says that after he calmed the storm, that they were fearful. One version says they were terrified. And it doesn't speak of a terrified of being in terror. It's talking about a holy fear, a reverential fear of God. Are you with me today? They had a reverential fear of God, and they realized that they were in the presence of something spectacular. Because they said amongst themselves, who is this? Who is this that God, or rather that he can calm the storms with his very voice, his command? I said all that to say this, don't get so caught up in the storms of the journey that you forget you have a destination to get to. Don't ever get so caught up in the little messes of your life that you can't remember and realize that you are on this journey for a purpose. Because oftentimes we get, we start off so passionate about God and God has told us to fulfill a life mission. And right in the middle of it, we get tired, we get weary, we get tired of all the things going on in our lives and all the garbage we have to deal with and all the problems that arise. And how many times do we walk off the path of God? We, we, we allow the journey to dishearten us from the destination. We allow what God has let us go through, stop us from where he is taking us. And the disciples thought that Jesus did not care. 
Can I tell you that when you're in the storm, it makes you oftentimes talk like a victim and walk like a victim. Like if you, that God doesn't love you and God doesn't care about you. But in spite of, God is trying to take you somewhere through this storm. God is trying to deal with some things in your life. And then the Bible says in verse 2 of John chapter 5, it says, it says, And Jesus stepped out of the boat, and immediately there was a man in the, who was a, in the tombs, and he had an unclean spirit. And he lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with chains, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains. But he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles, and no one had the strength to subdue him. Can I, let me give you my first point for today. When you're living and walking like Christ, when you're living and walking like Christ, your life is mission-focused. Your life is focused on the mission and not on everything that you have to go through in order to get to where God is taking you. Far too often you stop short of the place God has called you because the storms get too rough. Things get too hard. I don't want to go any further. This is too much. We just get too lazy. We get too complacent in God. We get too apathetic. We get too indifferent towards sin. And we say, well, I'm not where I used to be. That's one of the biggest curses in life, loving the fact that you're not where you used to be, but knowing you're not where you need to be. And we say it like with a badge of honor, I'm not where I used to be, but I'm not where I need to be. That's not a badge of honor. That's a place of shame. That you're not walking in the place that God's called you to be. That you're not walking in the will of God. You're not walking according to the word of God. Not walking to the tune of the drum of Jesus. Your life should be mission focused. What is the mission at hand? What am I supposed to be doing? You should ask yourself every day, what am I supposed to be doing in my life? What is my purpose? What is my, uh, God's desire for my life? In this season of my life, what is God calling me to do? Where does Jesus have me going? You have to understand that God operates in seasons, and God will take you from one place to the next. You can't stay in the same season because it's comfortable and because it fits you. I couldn't stay a praise and worship leader. I couldn't stay a youth pastor. God transitioned me from here to there to there. You've got to transition through the storms. And every time God transitioned me, it came through a storm, through a problem, and through a dilemma. But in the process of God working on me, I was able to get to the place God has called me, somebody say, to be. And so, and so Jesus was sleeping during the storm, realizing Nothing Satan could do could deter him from the mission he was on. I heard one praise and worship leader said, I love the way he said it. He said, I, I, was thinking about, I was thinking about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was praying and the disciples fell asleep. And then he said, and I also thought about the scripture where Jesus was sleeping and the disciples were awake. He said, it should be a goal in your life to sleep when God sleeps. And to be awake when God is awake. You should be awake when God has called you to be. And you should be dormant when God, sometimes God will say, just take a a step back. Just rest. Just rest in me. And you want to just go, go. And God's like, no, no, no. Rest in me. Just be still in this season. And the Bible says that when Jesus, knowing all this, he steps out of the boat. 
And he's immediately confronted by this man with this unclean spirit, this demon-possessed man. He was out of his mind living in tombs. Like, this is the equivalent of living in a graveyard. He was accustomed to being around dead things. And he comes in contact with the living God. He was strengthened by these demonic spirits and was given supernatural strength. When I read that earlier, I thought about Samson, how when the Spirit of God came on him, he received supernatural strength. But I thought about this man, when the Spirit of the enemy came upon him, the spirit of Satan, he also received supernatural strength. That's why some people who call themselves psychics can tell you your future because they're empowered by demonic spirits. Whereas in the church, a prophet is empowered by the Holy Spirit. And every gift of the spirit is not the spirit of God. And that's why they say, test the spirit by the spirit. And some people think they have a spirit of discernment. What they actually have is a familiar spirit of the enemy who has been dealing with you in your sin and it resonates with their lives and they're able to call it out and they do it as a tool to attack you. I don't want to go into too much demonology, but this man was full of some demons. He was empowered by Satan, supernaturally empowered. And the Bible says that no one could subdue him. He was a type of man that no one could deal with and everyone would run from. But when you're living like God, he calls you to those who no one else will reach, no one else will touch, no one else will cry out for, no one else will pray for, and that no one else would fast for. God calls you to those who no one else will deal with. This man had the strength to break chains and rip off shackles. And the Bible says that he often, he often had been chained, but he had broke them every time. He is presumably naked because the Bible would later on say that he went home and got changed. He was naked in the tombs, living in the dead place. No one had the strength to subdue him. And he confronts Jesus and he's there and he's like, what do you want me to do Uh, What do you want with me, Jesus of Nazareth? Verse 5, I found verse 5. Night and day among the tombs on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. This man was mutilating his body. He was cutting himself. This is like when, when we have this phenomenon of kids cutting themselves. They're dealing with unclean spirits. Let's begin to call it what it is. It's not a mental disorder. It's an unclean spirit. It's a demonic influence on their life. Maybe it's coming through television. Maybe it's coming through music. They're dealing with unclean spirits that torment their minds. The Bible talks about seizures. The Bible talks about all these things. And when it talks about these things, it's in correlation to unclean spirits. And there was this demonic, unclean spirit in this man that forced him to cut himself. We've been spending too much time calling unclean spirits mental illnesses and not taking the time to cast them out and to begin to fast and pray over people. And we allow people to be plagued with demons and spirits and we try to medicate physically a spiritual issue. You don't got a mental issue. You got an unclean spirit dealing and tormenting your mind. I was working at CVS Pharmacy for many years of my life. And when I became a store manager, you're more privy into what happens in the pharmacy. And you you would walk back to the pharmacy at times and just just check on prescriptions, just look around, just check on the team. And, And one day I'm just back there 
and, and, and they, they, they had these super high-powered drugs, like just these drugs that I wouldn't even use, and they're prescribing them to children, six-year-olds and seven-year-olds and eight-year-olds, and my kid has this problem, and my kid got that problem. My kid got, no, your kid has a generational curse you need to rebuke out of his life and break it. And we spent too many years as a country, as a society, trying to medicate spiritual issues. You can't medicate spiritual issues. The Bible says he would spend all day and all night cutting himself in the tombs, driven to lunacy by these unclean spirits. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran down before him and cried out with a loud voice. He said, what have you to do with me, O Jesus, the most high God? I adjure you by God. Do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of that unclean spirit. Can I tell you number two, point number two today, when you walk like Jesus, you have the authority to cast out demons and unclean spirits that nobody else can subdue. Everybody else might have had a problem with it, but when you're walking in the ways and the will and the discipleship of Jesus Christ, you have the power and the authority to cast out demons. And the Bible says that every time Jesus sent out the 12 or he sent out the 72 and he gave them power and authority, Matthew 28, when he's ascending into heaven, he says, all power and all authority has been given to me. It's been given to us as a church. And he, this demon, recognizes Jesus as this power, and he cries out, what do you want me to do? And Jesus, a main part of his ministry, is casting out unclean spirits. He was thrown out of his own hometown when he quoted Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison doors to those who are bound. This man was captive, and Jesus was going to set him free. He was captive to this demon in his life. And the demons bowed before Jesus and they begged Jesus not to torment them. And they're not talking about torture. What they're saying there is, Jesus, Jesus, don't cast me into eternal damnation at this point. Don't cast me into eternal damnation right now. And Jesus, and this is where, this is where many of our um, churches today get this whole thing where they want to have a conversation with the demon. But Jesus asked the demon his name. I believe Jesus asked the name because he saw something in this man that wasn't singular. It was, a, it was an issue with the multiplicity. And the, the demon says, our name is Legion because we're many. It, w- w- legion, a Roman legion is 6,000 men. Th- this man approximately, he had as many as 6,000 men unclean spirits residing in his life. And he had 6,000 unclean spirits tormenting him. Can I, can I take a moment to digress and just challenge some of you today? You have been dealing with long-term problems. You have strong, ungodly influences in your life. You've been unable to stop, unable to subdue. Have you ever dealt with a sin you cannot stop? You are being plagued by a spirit. If you have a recurring issue that you can never, just never stop, never seem to get away from, you're dealing with unclean spirits that are tormenting your life. 
And he says, we're a legion. We got thousands. We got this on lockdown in here. We have a stronghold in this man. We have a stronghold. And oftentimes the enemy has a stronghold in your life, a stronghold of laziness spiritually and both physically. A stronghold, a stronghold of lust in your life. You can't let go of pornography. You can't let go of sexually immoral activity. You got addictions to things. He got a stronghold of gossip in you, a stronghold of pride in you. He's got a stronghold of just, of just sin in you. And you, you think that because you come to church and give God your praise that you can live how you want. You're dealing with a stronghold because even the, 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 the demon bowed down and worshiped God. He bowed down and said, oh, Jesus, thou son of God. What are the things that are in your life that you're dealing with that are strongholds that you need to identify? And some of you are sitting there looking at me. Is this fool saying that I got demons in me? That's what y'all thinking. I'm not demon possessed. I'm, I'm not. I don't have the demon in me. Can I, t- can I tell you that There are many in the church who are plagued by unclean spirits, tormented day and night. My father was a pastor. One night he said that he was sleeping in his office and on the third floor he had fell asleep while he was at his computer in the back. And he told me that, that, um, that he, had, he had been just sleeping there and all of a sudden his entire body was paralyzed. And he said, and I felt a demon jump on me. And I knew it was a lust demon because it started to kiss my neck. He said, I was shouting at the top of my lungs. He's, you didn't hear me? He's asking the family, you didn't hear me? No, he didn't hear anything. He said, I was screaming. I couldn't even move until I shouted Jesus. I've heard some of you tell me your stories where a demon has come into your room. A demon has come and he's jumped on you and, and you've seen demonic spirits. You've seen demonic influences. And let me tell you something. Demons are after the church. They try to come in through any open door. You let them. There is a need for deliverance in the church to drive out the unclean spirits, to drive out the pigs that are in the parlor, to drive out all the things, all the unclean deals that are in the church. And God is looking for a church without spot and without wrinkle. God's looking for you to deal with those long-term issues and to cast those spirits out. To deal with them. No more sugarcoating things. No more playing around with God. No more playing church. But saying, I've got some deep-rooted issues that torment my life. Sins you want to stop, but you just can't seem to. They have a stronghold over you. Satan understood who he was going to meet that day. Can I challenge you something? Can I? Why was the storm? How does the storm fit into all this sermon? How does that fit? It fits in because the storm was trying to deter Jesus from his goal. The storm was trying to stop Jesus from meeting this man. The storm was trying to, was trying to be a, a physical hindrance to a spiritual solution that was coming. And, and, and if Jesus had turned around and said, yeah, you guys are right. Storm's way too bad. Let's turn around. He said, no, 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 no. I'm on a mission. Peace, be still. 
And often you are on the road to deliverance, but you stop because of a situation in your life. You're on the road to healing, but you stop. You're on the road to success, but you stop because of a storm or a situation that comes up in your life. Can I challenge you that if you find yourself in a storm, God might be trying to either free something in you or through you. God is trying to bring you to a different place when these things pop up in your life. God had plans to free this man and Satan tried to stop it. Have you ever been headed to church in the morning and maybe something upset you and everything told you not to go or you wanted to go that morning and then you woke up, you was like, I don't want to go now. My kids are upset. My kid got me upset. My car's messing up. I don't know what to do. I don't have a right to church. I'm not going to go. But then something made you go. And then that day, God really blessed your life, and God really touched your heart. That's kind of the same exact thing these men were going through, but on a much bigger scale. They were almost deterred from the place Jesus wanted them to go. Can I I tell you something? When you walk in the steps of Christ, you're always a part of the solution. When When you're walking in the ways of God, you are always a part of God's solution, not the problem. You are God's means of freedom for people. Jesus, full of authority, full of the Spirit of God. He begins to command these unclean spirits to come out. And the unclean spirit, they say to Jesus, please, 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 would you let it be that we would go into these pigs? And... and The theological reason for that is that demons cannot be outside of a body. In order to be on this earth, they have to be inside of a body. That's the spiritual law. And they say, well, let us go into that body instead of this man's body. And and I wonder why Jesus allowed this. I wondered why Jesus would allow him to go into the pigs. And and as I was just praying, and I, I realized pigs are unclean animals. Pigs are are animals that Jews could not touch that Jews could not eat, they weren't Puerto Rican, amen, and that Jews could not herd, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't be in those times. Pork chops and penil, and all the church said, mm-hmm. Could you imagine a barbecue without the ribs? And so back in those days, <clears throat> amen, they were unclean animals. They still are. <laughs> But according to scripture back then, they could not even touch them or herd them or be around them. And Jesus, I, I, I was praying and God was telling me, I'm not in the business of casting out a demon and leaving unclean things all around it. I'm going to clean the whole area. I'm going to sweep it clean. I'm going to get it all right. And the Bible says, the Bible says that, that the, here's, here's what tells me he had at least 2,000 demons in him because all 2,000 sheep killed themselves. They ran down into the ocean, and they killed themselves. Jesus took the unclean spirits, cast them into the unclean animals, and the pigs killed themselves. And Jesus set this man free. And the Bible says this. The Bible says this, that the herdsmen who were there, they ran away to tell the people what happened. And the people came to see what happened. And this man who was demon-possessed for years and totally insane, he's now sitting there. And the Bible says this, he was fully clothed. He was in his right mind. 
And then the Bible says this, that the people got so happy to see this man free, they began to celebrate and they began to shout and they began to praise God for the freedom and deliverance this man had. And they all sat at the feet of Jesus and he began to teach them all types of good Bible stories, right? That's what it says, right? No, it says this, it says this, that they got so mad and so afraid they asked Jesus to leave. They asked him to go. We don't want you here. Can I, can I just deal with this topic really quickly? And I know it's going to resonate with some people. Not everybody is going to be full of joy when God sets you free. Not everybody is going to be full of happiness for you when God puts you in the place he's called you to be. Not everybody is going to be happy for you when God blesses you with the career you've been working for. Not everybody is going to have the same joy that you have when God is beginning to pour out favor over your life. Not everybody is going to be excited for you. I'm telling you something, your drug dealer is not going to be happy when you quit smoking. He's not going to stop calling you. The local bar is not going to be happy. You don't go to happy hour no more. Not everybody is going to enjoy your freedom in God. Not everybody is going to be sitting there saying, praise God. I'm so, oh, Brother Melvin, I'm so glad you were able to, to free yourself from this with the power of God and that. No, some people are going to say, he ain't free. Wait, you see. He'll slip up. He always does. He'll mess up. And these people, they come down, and they were probably upset they lost their pigs. Probably really upset about it. But they were afraid. They were afraid. You know why we don't see a move of God these days? Because people are afraid of the true power of God. Because people are afraid that such a level of freedom would come from sin, they wouldn't enjoy their lives no more. And people are afraid that, that God might actually set them so on fire for him that they forget about themselves and their own lives and their own agendas. You know what? You know why God don't move in the church on Sundays? He doesn't have enough time. We've, we've gone through this fast food generation of church. It's like, I want to go through the drive-thru. I want number six of joy. I want a side of just humble pie. And I want to, you know what? Give me, give me a large uh, sin-free Sunday right there. Yeah with a little bit of cookies on top, and my favorite song. There you go, perfect. Can I tell you something? Y'all might take this the wrong way. That's okay. You know that Sunday has nothing to do with my walk with God? Sunday does not define me as a follower of Christ. Sunday evening when I'm opening my Bible... And I'm reading the word. Monday morning when I'm on my knees and I'm praying. Monday evening when I'm just seeking God and just talking to him. Or, or every night I, I pray over my daughter and I just pray God's favor over her. I pray God's blessings over her. I pray God's anointing over her and I pray over my wife. And sometimes she's awake, sometimes she's not just, girl, in the name... <laughs> Lord Jesus, you take care of her. 
you, you take care of that girl right there. And, and I just pray. And, and it's my constant walk with God that defines me as a believer. And it's, it's not that Sunday type stuff. I love how we just clock watchers in church. When I, I, I read that it's the day of the Lord, not the two hours. Not the 45 minutes you want to serve God because you come late. He says, it's the day of the Lord. The Sabbath is a day of the Lord. And, and, and the Bible says that these people, they came and, and they were so upset and they were afraid. They were afraid because Jesus had set this man so free. Have you ever been so free and scared someone? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe I'm talking like you're in a worship service and like you're around people you know. Maybe you brought a visitor to church. Maybe you brought somebody for the first time with you and, and, and then your song comes on. You're just like, praise God! Hallelujah! You're just like. Well, if I had known you were like that, I would have sat somewhere else. You know what I'm talking about. They were afraid. They were legitimately afraid. The people are so upset and so disturbed, they asked Jesus to leave. And my response to this might be different than yours. My response is is this, is that Jesus should have told them, no, I'm Jesus, and I'm staying here. I'm going to anoint the whole place, and you're all getting saved. But that's not what happened. Jesus turned around, he got in the boat with his disciples, and he left. And you might be saying, okay, pastor, where are you going with this one? Here's my biggest point for today. Jesus went through that whole storm. Jesus, he went through all of that. His disciples faced shipwreck. They faced death. They faced waves that were crashing into the boat. They faced almost a little bit of a confrontation with Jesus where they were like, you don't even love us. They faced all this stuff, and it was for one man. The things and the places Jesus will go just to reach one person. Just to reach that one individual who will change many lives. Because the Bible says this, the Bible says this, that the man, he went back into the Decapolis and began to proclaim what Jesus had done in his life. And maybe that doesn't really resonate with you, but the Decapolis is not a city. It is a group of ten cities. It's a Greek word, Deca, ten, Decapolis. He went to ten different cities proclaiming the goodness of God and the mighty power of Jesus. And you might be like, what are you getting at, Pastor? That you should not fret when God sends you to one person. Some of you will never preach to 10,000 people. Some of you will never go across the world like I did to Rwanda and preach before a 1,000 Africans. And some of you will never hop on a stage. And some of you will never be the person preaching and teaching. Your ministry might be to reach that one individual who you don't like, who you can't stand, who everybody else runs away from. And God's calling you to that one. He'll call you to that one person and say, listen, I'm calling you to that person. Your whole purpose in life is to save that man, that woman right there. 
And far too often, you forget about the power of just one. You forget about that one individual at your job. When you live like Christ, every single person is worth saving. Every single person is worth the cost of following Christ. And I want to challenge you, who is God calling you to? Because right now, as I've been speaking and preaching, there's probably somebody in your mind that you really don't like that you might be, is God calling me to that person? Because if that's the person, I'll pass. All the laughing is also, again, conviction. Even the second laughter. Amen. And so, I want to challenge you that maybe, just maybe, 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 just maybe God is not calling you to the masses. God's calling you to one. I read this story of this man, and, and it was just, guy, he was walking in Sydney, Australia by a certain street. I think it was a church street in Sydney, Australia. And he walked by church street and this old man stopped him and he said, do you know Jesus? Guy's like, no. He says, if you die today, where would you go? Gave him a track and walked away. This guy ended up getting saved because of what this man said. He was so disturbed in his spirit that he ended up getting saved. And he went to this camp meeting over in England, and he was talking to the pastor. And the pastor had this, this propensity to always ask people, how'd you meet Christ? And he says, I met Christ. I met Christ because, because of just some little old man in, in Sydney, Australia, on Church Street, who confronted me with these questions. And then the same pastor, he went to another big convention, and he was talking to other pastors, and he looked at this one pastor who was from, like, the Philippines, and he said, how did you come to Christ? And he was like, well, I was in Sydney, Australia, and there was this old man that approached me and told him the same story. And then this pastor, he goes, he goes, the same pastor, he goes to a different convention, and he talks to other pastors, and he meets this one guy. Hey, how did you get saved? Well, there was this guy in Sydney, Australia. And he tells him the whole story again. And then, and then he goes to another convention and he asks another pastor. And he's like, how'd you get saved? Well, there was this guy in Sydney, Australia. And then he went to this place, I think it was in South America. And he went to a convention in South America. And, and he's like talking to all these leaders. And he's like, how'd you meet the Lord? Well, there was this guy in Sydney, Australia. And this happened about 10 times that this pastor met people who were from all over the world who had crossed through Sydney, Australia and met this little old man on Church Street who confronted him with that question, if you died today, where would you go? Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? After hearing the story 10 plus times, this pastor realizes God's talking to him. And he goes to Australia. He goes to Sydney. And and as the story goes, he goes to Sydney, Australia, and he finds the local church by Church Street He's like, listen, I have a question for you. I have a question for you. He says to this pastor, he goes, does this story sound familiar to you about an old man asking people these series of questions? And the pastor's like, yeah, I know exactly who that is. He's not doing so well, though. And the pastor's like, what do you mean? He's dying. And so this guy takes the pastor to meet this little old man who's now literally on his deathbed. Mind you, the pastor has heard the stories from evangelists. He's heard the stories from pastors and missionaries and businessmen all across the world that this man in Sydney, Australia, had saved their lives. But each person who had gave their lives to God had done so after they walked away from this little old man. 
And here was this little old man laying on his deathbed, not realizing he had ever touched anybody but Jesus Christ. And this pastor walks up to him. He goes, you don't know me. And he told him his story. And the old man began to cry because he realized how many people he had saved for Jesus Christ. And the old man said this, I got saved. He, goes, he said, I was in Sydney, Australia, and I, I had gotten confronted by someone else who said to me, if you die today, where would you go? Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And he said, he said those words resonated and they, they impacted me so much that I made a commitment to myself that I would ask 10 people a day the same question. And this little old man never knew he had reached tens of thousands of people because of asking 10 people a day, do you know Jesus Christ? You know, the problem with us today is, is we don't share our faith with people. We don't want people to know about the God that we serve. It's like your church is a secret society. You don't want people to know that you serve God. And Jesus, he set this man free. He went through all that pro- trouble, all that problems just for one. Just for one. And oftentimes, we don't reach the one. Parents who won't even pray with their own children, let alone a stranger on the street. And this man had saved so many people and never, ever knew. I heard a story of another guy, an evangelist. I'll wrap up with this. He, he's telling this story, and he's like, I was, I was in a shoe shop. And this guy was a Sunday, uh, Sunday school teacher. His name was Kimball. Edward Kimball, I believe his name was. And back in the 1900s, and he's like, I was, I was a Sunday school teacher, and I, I had had this kid in my class that I wanted to know Jesus. And so he says, one day I made it a point to go by his job, and I found him in the stockroom, and I approached him in the stockroom, and I presented him with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I presented him with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says, And that man gave his life to God right there in the shoe store. And that man, his name was Dwight Moody. And Moody was one of the greatest evangelists in the early 1900s that ever lived. Great man of God. Kimball. Walked into a shoe store, led him to Jesus Christ. It doesn't stop there because because Kimball reached Moody and then Moody was preaching, and he reached a man named Wilbur Chapman. And then Wilbur Chapman was preaching. He gave his life to God, and he met a, a well-known baseball player named Billy Sunday. And he led Billy Sunday to Christ. And Billy Sunday became a preacher, and Billy Sunday, he, he was going all over the nation just preaching about Jesus. And one day in his meeting, Billy Sunday reached a man named Mordecai Ham. Dr. Mordecai Ham. And Dr. Mordecai Ham gave his life to God. And then, and then, and then, in Charlotte, North Carolina, a sandy-haired, lanky young man, at that time he was in high school, he vowed that he wouldn't go hear this guy preach. He vowed that he will not do it. His name was Billy Frank. And Billy Frank said, I'm not going to go hear this guy preach. And all his friends had gone to actually disrupt the meeting that was going on with Mordecai Ham. And, and, and this guy, Billy Frank, ended up going anyways. And under the preaching of Mordecai Ham, 
Billy Frank gave his life to Jesus Christ. Pastor, what are you talking about? That man, Billy Frank, is better known as Billy Graham. And through a series of encounters, God was knitting together the salvation plan of Billy Graham. Billy Graham has reached millions for Jesus Christ. Billy Graham has reached millions across the globe with the message of the gospel. What am I saying? There is not one single person that is worth walking by in terms of the gospel. There is not one person not worth reaching for Jesus Christ. There is not one person too lost, one person too unlovable, one person too crazy. You've got to get a heart after the lost like Jesus had. Doesn't matter how demon possessed, how plagued they are by unclean spirits, God is calling you, the believer, to the lost. God is calling us to live like Jesus and to go through storms for the person who you can't stand, for the one person who nobody loves, who nobody can reach, and nobody can bind up. But Jesus, but Jesus, He came full of the Holy Spirit. And He said, Come out of that man, you unclean spirits. I want to challenge you to be brave, to be bold for Jesus Christ. And to be, some of you have had that fire and you lost the fire that was for souls. And you used to want to save people. And now we don't want to do that. I want to challenge you to stir the fire up when you first gave your life to God. Stir the fire back up that you had, the passion you had that you wanted the world to know about Jesus. You can save one person. It's not a chain reaction. You can be a bringer to Christ. You can be a person who connects people to the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's not one person not worth saving. There's not one person too far gone. And you might be sitting here today, and you might, you might be that unclean man dealing with some issues and some spirits in your life, dealing with some long-term problems, some turmoil in your heart, in your mind. That might be you. Jesus has the authority and the power to set you free. Maybe, maybe you're sitting here today and you know somebody who needs that deliverance. You know maybe someone with a wicked addiction. Maybe you know someone whose heart is troubled. Maybe you know someone in your family who's been diagnosed with mental disorders. Can I challenge you to stand in the gap for them today? Can I challenge you to declare the goodness of God, to declare the power and authority of Jesus Christ? Can I, can I challenge you to declare the authority of Jesus Christ over their lives? As I was praying this week, I didn't want to preach this message. I had a thousand different things to, to say and God was just dealing with me. No, I want you to preach this message of deliverance because there needs to be deliverance in the church of God. There's got to be deliverance in the church of God. True freedom. True freedom in Jesus Christ. Come on, stand with me today. Come on, just bow your heads right now as we reverence the Holy Spirit. Come on, just bow your heads. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
he's here right now. Come on, would you lift your hands in this place? Would you just reverence him right now? I read that scripture and the demon upon seeing Jesus immediately bowed down, immediately declared who he was. And sometimes we come into the house of God and we don't even lift our hands, don't declare nothing. I, I challenge you right now, declare who he is over your life. You are Lord, you are master, you are savior of all, you are the king of all creation. We honor you in this place right now, Holy Spirit. We honor you right now. Will you touch every heart? Will you move amongst the people right now, Lord? Would you stir in them? I sense there's people right now dealing with spirits of brokenness in your life. You can't get past some certain hurt in your life. You're dealing with a spirit that keeps on reminding you of your past, reminding you of your hurt. Freedom from relationships. I'm telling you, God can do it in your heart right now. Freedom from addictions to people. Freedom from unhealthy addictions in your life right now. The Bible says that nothing is too hard for the Lord. The Bible says that with God, nothing is impossible. Come on, I dare somebody to serve notice right now to the enemy. You are being evicted out of my life. You're being cast out out of my life. Come on, every head bowed, every head bowed, every eye closed. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Come on, from the front to the back, just reverence the Holy Spirit right now. Reverence God in this place. There's some of you dealing right now with severe, deep-seated issues. You've been struggling in your walk with God. You've been struggling in just your life. There's freedom in Jesus' name. Come on, if that's you, would you lift your hand as high as you can and stand in agreement? Come on, that's right. Yes, amen, amen. Lift your hand as high. If that's you, you know it. You need that freedom. You need that freedom in Jesus' name. Spirits of depression, spirits of anxiety, spirits of worry, spirits of brokenness and and just all manner of ungodly things. Come on, if that's you, lift your hands as high as you can and declare the goodness of God and say, in the name of Jesus, come on, say it, in the name of Jesus, I declare freedom over my life. I declare freedom right now. In the name of Jesus. Come on, lift those hands as high as you can. You know it's you. Maybe you're here today, you haven't given your lives to God. You want to make that commitment right now. That's you. Come on, lift those hands as high as you can. We're surrendering right now. We're surrendering to him right now. That's right. Amen. Come on. Come on. Come on. Addictions, we've broken today. Come on. In Jesus' name, if I can have my prayer team, come on up. In Jesus' name, we serve notice right now to every demonic spirit, every unclean spirit, every demonic influence. Come on. Come on. If you need prayer right now, I want to challenge you. The altar's open right now. If you want to get prayer, you want to get prayer over your issue, over that spirit of depression, over that spirit of anxiety, over that addiction right now. Step on up. Step on up. Freedom is in the house today. Come on. Freedom is in the house today. Freedom in Jesus' name. Come on. Freedom in Jesus' name. Come on. Somebody give them praise right now. Freedom in Jesus' name. Freedom. We come against every assignment of the enemy. We come against every unclean spirit. We come against every demonic influence. Every addiction to pornography. Every addiction to drugs. Every addiction to drinking. Every addiction to sex right now. In the name of Jesus. I cast it out right now in this place. Come on. I dare somebody to begin to speak in tongues as loud as you can. Begin to declare it right now. In the name of Jesus. Come on. 
The Bible says that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess. Not just a man, but every demon shall flee. Oh, Father, would you rise up in us today, God? Would you raise up an army in this place today, God? Freedom right now in the name of Jesus. We command those spirits out in the name of Jesus. Oh, come on. I dare you to just extend your hands to these people in the front right now and begin to say, devil, you've got to leave. Devil, you've got to go. Devil, you've got to let them go right now in the name of Jesus. Come on, don't leave till they pray for you. Don't leave till something breaks. Don't leave till God sets you free. Don't leave till you know it. Till you know it's done in Jesus' name. Come on, lift it up, man. Lift it up in the name of Jesus. Come on. Come on, call it out right now. Devil, I rebuke you. Devil, I cast you out in Jesus' name. Speak a word of freedom. Speak a word of freedom over their lives. Come on, no weapon, no weapon shall be formed against us that shall prosper in the name of Jesus. Freedom. Come on, come on, come on, give him praise. Give him praise right now. No weapon, no weapon.
pray, Lord Jesus, that you would expose every plan, every plot, and every ploy of Satan in my life. That I might cast it out. I declare it, and I decree it, and I seal it with the blood of Jesus. Devil, out. Come on, lift it up, devil. Get out of my life, of my home, of my finances, in my relationships, in my children. I cast it out of my church, of my city, my neighborhood. In Jesus' name, somebody shout amen. Somebody shout amen. Come on, lift up a shout of praise in this place. Give God the glory in this place. Here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want you to do. I need you to do me a favor. The Bible says that faith without works is dead, right? I want you to seal this, this prayer right now with the act of faith. I want you just to give God the craziest praise for the next 30 seconds when I count to three. That may sound nuts. That may sound crazy. If it's your first time here, that's all right. Maybe you just got to jump. I want you to seal this with praise. I want you to celebrate and believe that God has set you free. Can I just, can I just tell you, can you just praise God like you've been set free of $5 million in debt? Is anybody ready? I'm going to count to three. Maybe you don't know to do. Just jump up and down. That's all you could do. I want you to give God a mighty shout. Come on. On the count of one. Come on. Two. Here we go. Lift it up. Three. Three. Come on. Give God praise. That's right. Give God praise. Come on. Give God praise. Come on. Give God praise. Come on. 20 more seconds. 20 more seconds of praise. Come on. Come on. Somebody shout freedom. Freedom. Come on, I'm free. I'm free. I'm free in Jesus' name. Come on, praise Him. Praise Him. That's right. Jump up and down. Come on, praise Him with all your heart. Praise Him with all your strength. Come on, lift it up. Lift it up. Lift it up. Lift it up. Come on, praise Him. Praise Him. Hallelujah. Come on, He's worthy. He's worthy. Come on, give him a shot of praise. 